Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. What a great day. I'm telling you what. I woke up this morning and uh, feel a little fall in the air and uh, just beautiful. I'm glad you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or the warehouse, the chapel, or on the internet. We're glad that you guys are here too. It's going to be a great weekend. Start a new series. We're calling Finding and Keeping the Love of Your Life. It's going to be a series for singles and married, so we cover everybody. Uh, and there will be a mixture during each message, although some messages will be more directed towards singles or uh, married. Now, how many of you are single here today? Just raise your hand. How many of you are single? Okay, large portion of the congregation. This, is, this one is, is going to be great for you. And, and if you're married, I hope that you will listen also because there'll be some things in here that may say, you know, if, if we would have maybe adjusted this early on, or maybe this is why uh, we're having a challenge in this area, uh, or maybe you have kids, and I think it would be good for all of us. I, I wished, as I was preparing, I wished when I was a teenager that uh, I could have heard some of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, today. And so what I did was to begin with is I looked for some statistics. What, what's going on in the culture as it relates to being single and being married? Found a Pew study uh, that said this, basically, that fewer people are getting married, they're waiting longer to do it, and more people are actually living together outside of marriage these days. Here, here are the statistics. In 1960, uh, 50, what, some years ago, is that right? I got it right, 50, help me math people, 53. All right, gotcha. Come on, help, help a brother, help a brother. 1960, 72% of the people in America were married, okay? 5% of the unmarried were divorced or separated, and the rest were widowed or never married, 72%. In 2010, just a couple of years ago, 51% were married. So that's gone down by... A significant amount. I was going to tell you how much, but I couldn't get it that quick, 21%. <laughs> I think I can get this next one. And 14% are divorced or separated. So that one's gone up uh, 9%. Uh, and, and the rest then are widowed or never married. Uh, in 1960, men married at 23 years old on average. Women married at 20 years old. In 2010, men married at 29, which is six years older. And women at 26, which is six years older also, so they're waiting longer to get married. Uh, in 1960, 60% of the people between the ages of 20 and 24 had already married, had, had uh, already, already been married, okay? 60% between 20 and 24. Uh, in 2010, 14% between 20 and 24 um, have already been married. So as I looked at that, I thought, well... Does that mean that young people are loving Jesus, staying pure, and using those extra years to grow more and more uh, like Jesus? Well, some are, uh, but uh, not so much. In fact, these days between 20, uh, the, the, uh, if you're between 20 and 24, um, uh, half of the people are living together before uh, marriage. In fact, in, in marriages, uh, 50% uh, cohabit before they're married. What, what difference does that make? Well, there are studies uh, uh, that almost always find that cohabitation is associated with a higher divorce risk, with estimates, estimates ranging from 33% to 
to 151% of increased risk of divorce. Annual rates of depression among cohabitors are more than three times higher than married couples. Women in cohabiting relationships are twice as likely as married women to suffer physical abuse. It's not everybody, but, it, but, but, but some. Uh, two studies found that women in cohabiting relationships are about nine times more likely to actually be killed by their partner than married women. And couples who cohabit before marriage report less marital happiness and more conflict when married. Now, flip that over, um, and these are just studies. Uh, in contrast to that, uh, couples who marry as virgins, both of them, uh, both couples. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Obviously not. We won't use that in the next service. <laughs> Lighten up, okay? <laughs> Men who marry as virgins are 37% less likely to divorce. Women who marry as virgins are 24% less likely to divorce. Those who wait to have sex until marriage and remain faithful in marriage report higher levels of life satisfaction compared to ad adults who engage in premarital or adulterous sex. And those who wait to um, have sex and are faithful to their spouse also report notable higher happiness scores. So that's kind of where we are. So what, what I wanted to do is in the first message, let's kind of lay a standard, just go old school. What does the Bible say about singleness, marriage, and sexuality. Well, the first thing I want to say about it is that he created the whole deal, okay? He created uh, us to be sexual individuals, and he said, you know what? It's good. It's a good. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like an upgrade he put into Adam and Eve after a while. You know, they need a little extra. Let's do this. No, it was standard, you know, it was standard equipment. God said, this is a good thing. But he said the relationship, the sexual relationship, is to be experienced within the context of marriage. That's, God said it. He's the creator. There must be reasons for it. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says this. It's on your outline sheet. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Basically what he says is marriage is good. Marriage is to be honored. Marriage is to be admired. It's a good thing. Most people will be married. 91% of the people in this congregation in America, whatever, will be married at some point in their life. Marriage is a good thing. It says to be held in honor. Then he goes on and he says, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. It says, God will judge people who are immoral. What does that mean? Immoral means, it's from the Greek word pornos, where we get our word porn, but it's, it's broader than porn. It refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. When, when they wrote this, the context of it, it said sexual relationships are to be within the context of marriage. Anything outside of the context of, context of marriage uh, is, is uh, immoral. And he says those who are immoral and those who commit adultery, and I think we're pretty clear on what that means if you're married to somebody and you, and you uh, have sex with somebody outside your marriage, it's an adulterer. He says they will be under the judgment of God. Now that sounds kind of scary. Somebody's saying, are you telling me that if I'm living with my you know, uh, girlfriend or boyfriend or I'm having sex outside of marriage in some way, 
that I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to go to hell someday? Well, not so much. I mean, it's possible, but let's talk about judgment just a little bit so we'll kind of understand what it means. When the Bible, boy, has it gotten quiet in here all of a sudden. You go to sex in the first five minutes and it's just like crickets. So, so here's the deal. So here's the deal. When the Bible talks about judgment, God will judge. There are two forms of judgment that it's talking about. There's the, the end time judgment, which is the separation of God followers and those who just kind of want to do their own thing. And uh, the consequences are big in that, uh, that uh, those who, um, you know, do the will of God, follow God, uh, will be with him forever. And those who don't will be separated from God forever. And depending on what you believe about the end times, it's a pretty, a, a pretty uh, stark existence, okay? And, uh, and that's a judgment. Now, uh, um, Ephesians says that if you are going to be saved from that type of judgment, from being a do-it-yourself kind of a person to a, a Christ follower, um, you do that by faith, not by works. Okay, you, you have faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We are saved by faith, not by works, and we are sustained by faith and not by works. In other words, I don't believe that once you're a part of God's family, that when you violate a principle of the Lord, whether it be, you know, financially or um, uh, physically, sexually, whatever, that God throws you out of his family. Because if you are a Christ follower, it is that because of your faith. And so that in judgment, I believe that you can be secure in that in judgment that you will be with the Lord. Now, when you sin, when you violate God's word, you, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, and we repent of our sins. That's one of the reasons we have crosses at every campus. You don't have to have a cross to repent, but we feel like it's a, a visual reminder of what Jesus did. You go to the cross and you say, God, I repent of where I've fallen short. I repent of my sin, and you are restored to fellowship with God, not relationship. We have a relationship with God because of our faith. But how many of you know you can be in relationship with somebody and not be in fellowship with them? And when you repent of your sin, you restore fellowship. So if I violate this sexual area of my life, does it mean I'm going to hell? Well, not necessarily. But if you are a believer, it means that God will judge you. You said, well, last week I thought you said God loves us. Yes, he does. But he loves us too much to allow us to stay the way that we are. Because he has a plan for us. His will is good and perfect. He is the creator. He knows what's best, even though you think you might know what's best. And so when we violate God's will in any area, we come under the judgment of God. Um, and, and actually, a couple of things happen. In this sexual area, uh, there are natural consequences. If you violate the principles of God, have sex outside of marriage, um, sexual disease, you know, is, is one possible consequence. Does everybody have that? No. If you have a sexual disease, are you a terrible person? No. It just happens to be one of the consequences of, of doing it different than what God says. Uh, broken hearts, feelings of guilt, all kinds of things are 
our natural consequences, plus there's the active judgment of God. I like to call these timeouts. Have you ever been in one of God's timeouts? And you knew, knew that you were. We've got grandchildren that are living with us right now, okay, because their parents are building a house. We're praying that that house will be built quickly. <laughs> Actually, we're, we're loving the process. But uh, the other day, Ryland, who loves to test the rules, was in a timeout. In her timeout, she has to go into the kitchen, sit on the floor. There's a microwave above her, and they put a time, like five minutes, that you've got to sit when the bell dings and the timeout's over. Unless you are not cooperating with the timeout, then it goes a little bit longer. Okay, and there, if there's not true repentance at the end of a timeout, then we ding another five, you know. And so I'm, I'm walking by, and I'm watching her, and I'm, I'm thinking this, Rye, life doesn't have to be this hard. Okay? Life does not have to be this hard. You are bringing judgment on yourself that's not necessary. If you would just walk within the blessing of the family, you would love it. Life would be good. And it's that way with God. In the sexual area or any other area, when you walk outside of the will of God, and you, you kind of, you know, you, you do what's not right, you don't walk out of relationship if you're a believer, but you walk out of fellowship and God brings judgment and life gets harder. And you may experience that right now. And it may not happen right away because sin, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season. But life will get harder and God judges because he loves you, okay? So, so somebody's saying now, uh, well, okay, so... Uh, I can just, I can be a Christian and I kind of thumb my nose at God in this sexual area and do whatever. I'll kind of make up my own rules and I'll be okay at the end judgment. Uh, time out, bucko. Let me talk to you just a minute about that. Jesus in Matthew, the scariest scripture in the Bible to me, Jesus goes, you know what? There are going to be people at that end time judgment where they're being placed in lines. This line uh, exits and this line stays with God. There are going to be people who thought they were placed in the wrong line, and they're going to be begging and saying, Jesus, I was one of yours. You know, I, I went to Seacoast. I, I took a piece of paper to the cross. I gave my life to you. And Jesus said, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you because you didn't do the will of the Father. In other words, you were a Christian in name only, okay? But you never really committed yourself to me. And so that's something that's worth thinking about and worth some discussions as you ponder this or any other subject. So, so the Bible says that marriage is admirable, it's, it's, it's honorable, and that God will surely judge us on how we shepherd and steward this gift of sexuality uh, that he has given us. So what I want to do is I'm just going to do a Bible study for a few minutes on being single. Um, certainly won't be able to cover everything that there is, or we'd be here for three or four hours, which is fine with me. You're going to have a little problem with that because uh, you're going to get hungry and stuff, but I love to talk. So, so we're not going to cover everything, but I want to cover one passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul, who was kind of the apostle of single. He was a single guy, hugely productive, wrote most of the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, he writes some specific things to single. So I want to talk about four things. I wanted to have three because, you know, three is the way I like to roll, but there was too much, so we're going to do four. All right, that's all right. Forgive me for that, uh, for that uh, fapo. All right, here we go. 
being single. What does it mean to be single? Being single, uh, if you're going to be single, be pure, Paul says. Be pure. He says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 8, he says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. He says, you know what? If you can, single is good. It really is. Marriage is good. Single is good. Paul writes an entire, you know, an entire New Testament nearly. He has a major impact on the world. And he said single is good. Single people can change the world. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But he says, I have a gift for being single. If you can be like me, that's great. But he says, if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. And we laugh about that scripture. Yeah. Better to, you know, you better, are you burning? Can you not control yourself? You better go get married. I don't think that's the context of it. He's just given reality here. He says, he says if, you've got, if you can't stay sexually pure, you need to work toward getting married. He's talking specifically to couples who are in a relationship here. This is single couples in a relationship. He says if you can't stay sexually pure, if you don't do virginity well, you need to get married. You may not have the gift. It might not be right for you to be single. He just says, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Um, I have two friends. Actually, I have more than two friends. But I, I, was, thinking of, I was thinking of two friends that I, that I knew, knew growing up, growing up, growing up. And uh, still know them today. One guy made a commitment when he was in his teens. He said, you know what? I'm going to give God the first 30 years of my life. I'm going to be a missionary. That's what he felt called to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to give God the first 30 years of my life. I'm not going to date. I'm not even going to think about that. But I'm going to commit myself wholly to him first 30 years of my life. And he didn't get married until he was about 35. And incredible. I mean, they, they, the continent that he chose to go to, they call him an apostle on that continent. Incredible work for God that he did. He was single for a season. I have another uh, friend who uh, decided as a teenager that he was going to give God the first 40 years of his life and devote it to what he felt called to, which was music. And it wasn't music in the church, it was in the, the secular field. And so he didn't date, he didn't marry, he didn't get involved in sexual immorality. He devoted himself specifically uh, to, to music and to using his gift in the secular field in music and serve God. And he became the best in the world at, at what he did. I'm not saying that if you do that, you're going to become the best in the world. Just two of my friends did. Me, on the other hand, I got married at 20. Okay? Why did you get married at 20? Let's reread the scripture. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I had a girlfriend I had known for four years. I wanted to be a pure sexual guy and having a terrible time with it and feeling guilty and doing this and, and, and having success and not having success. And, and I got married, 20 years old. And it was a good thing. It was an awesome thing. It was the will of God for me. And some people will say, oh, you were too young. People shouldn't get married at 20. Who are you going to take your cues from for relationship? The culture or the creator? 
It's not the same for everybody. And Paul says it would be better to be single. If you can do that, that's great. But if you can't, it's okay. It's how you're created. Okay? Get married. Get married. And so, and so um, if, if that's you, just be honest. Just be honest. And say, uh, and, and if you're having trouble and if it's a challenge and, and you're, you get into sexual sin and you burn with lust and you live with frustration, you feel guilty, you hook up with the wrong people, you make a mess, you leave a trail of broken hearts, get off that track, okay? And, and, and if you're in a relationship, begin to make a plan. I don't have time on what it means to make a plan. We might do that next week. We'll see on, on really how, how, how to do that. But you've got you, you to be honest. If you can't stay sexually pure, get married, Okay? Number two, be wise. Be wise. Be wise. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.25, he starts some real practical stuff. He says, now regarding your question about the young women who are not married. Here's what he's saying. 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians is a Q&A, okay? We're going to have a Q&A on the fourth week of this series, Okay? Um, where the fourth week is just going to, the message is going to be your questions because we can't hit everything about singles and marriage and you have specific situations, go to our Facebook account, write questions and we'll, uh, the Seacoast Facebook account and we'll, we'll deal with them on the fourth week. That's what 1 Corinthians was. It's a series of questions from a church that were written to Paul and in this particular question, it's regarding a specific question about young women who are not yet married. And here's what he says. I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. He says, Jesus didn't teach on this, is what he's saying. I don't find a clear teaching from Jesus on your specific question. But he says, I think I've got a principle here that's got wisdom, and so let me teach it to you. He says, because of this present crisis, I think it would be best to remain as you are, okay? Paul is not giving a blanket teaching here that says marriage is not good, singleness is better. If you want to get married, don't get married, remain single. It's not what he's saying. And I've heard teachings along that line. I've, I've seen whole heresies that rise up that, um, you know, they're just crazy on that. Uh, Paul's saying in this specific situation, there is a present crisis, now, what was the present crisis that would make it better to remain single and married? could have been one of two things. Um, there was a famine that was uh, prophesied about in Acts uh, for this area, and they may have been in the middle of the famine. They couldn't get anything to eat. Or it could have been, uh, uh, he's talking about what's going to happen very soon, is that Nero is going to go crazy on Christians Okay. He's going to be torturing Christians. There's going to become a great persecution. And what he's saying is, if you can't get something to eat, and there's this great persecution, people are being torn apart and tortured and all that, it would be better not to bring kids into that whole deal. It would be better not to even have a wife or a husband to be concerned about because you need to be concerned about yourself in that situation. So he says in, in the next verse, uh, if, if, you've, if you have a wife, don't seek to end the marriage. He says, be courageous on this. If you've got a wife, you know, do the thing that you need to do. But if you don't have a wife, don't seek to be married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. He's just telling you that because the time uh, is short. And so this present crisis. So how do we apply that to singles in the room and in our campuses today? 
Is there, you need to ask yourself, is this the best time to be thinking about getting married for me? Is this the best time? Marriage is good, okay? Uh, but is this the best time to be thinking about it? Uh, is there a current crisis? Your current crisis may be you're in college and have no money, okay? That's a crisis, all right, if you want to get married. So that means maybe that you should wait uh, unless you're burning and then you borrow money and get married, okay? Um, you may be working through an addiction, you know, something in, inside of yourself. And it would be best to do that before you bring that into a marriage. Although you'll never be perfect. There are no perfect people. Uh, you may be on a career track that's non-adjustable for marriage. Okay, I heard a football coach the other day. I was watching, during my quiet time, watching ESPN. And, uh, <laughs> and this guy, I can't even remember who it was, but he's just like radically de- devoted to football and uh, they, somebody asked him, well, how does your wife and family feel about that? And he, and he said, they, they know that they're, that they're number two to football, okay? But that's just the way it is. And I'm thinking, it ain't going to last long, okay? Because that's not the divine order and structure is your, your, your marriage and your family comes before career. And, but you may be on a career track that's just non-adjustable right now, so that's current crisis. Or he just cheated on you, and, and you just found out, and you make up, and let's just get married, and he'll solve all that. Uh, that's not good. That's probably not a good time. Or you've just come through another difficult relationship, and it's kind of a rebound deal. Or your family and friends and church just say, this is probably not the right guy or the right girl. You need to submit your relationship in that way. In fact, uh, if you do want to get married, guys, I believe that you court her through her, fa- through her father, okay? I've got a whole message on that, and it's really, really good. And like I said, I don't have time this morning to deal with that. But what if she doesn't have a godly father? Well, she might have a godly brother or uncle or small group or whatever. But you don't just do it in a vacuum. You, you do it together. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you just keep living together, having sex until the crisis goes away. Because you will be under God's judgment, Life will be harder, and God has a better way. So be holy, be wise. The third thing that he says to singles is be radically devoted. Be radically devoted. Uh, Verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Trust me, when you get married, you will learn to manage a tension that you will never solve. Some, some, some problems are problems to be solved. Some tensions are tensions to be managed. And when you get married, let me just ask this, guys that are married, how many of your, your life changed when you got married? Okay, the rest of your lying. Okay. When you get married, no longer can you th- play on three softball teams during the week. When you get married, you can't go flounder gigging every Friday night. When you get married, you can't clean the fish in the sink. Maybe you can, but it's probably not a good thing. When you get married, you're not going to have as much discretional income as you had because she will have a plan for it. Okay. All right? It's just, it's, just, it's just true. It's just kind of the, the way it is. And uh, when you get married, at some point, 
You will find yourself standing beside a toilet, cheering as your two-year-old drops a deuce in the toilet. (laughs) You will be so changed at that point, you will Instagram that. (laughs) And your single friends will think, you are nuts. You are nuts. And you are. You are. You've, You've changed. And there's this tension that you have. When I got married, I had a band, okay? And we used to hang out. We used to practice all the time and stuff. I got married. And, uh, and so the first few weeks, I went to hang out with the band. And that was, she was awesome for the first week. And uh, <laughs> then it was like, me, them. I chose her. They got upset. But it was a tension that I had to manage, okay? And that's just the way it is. A single man is free to respond in radical ways to God. You have freedom that married guys don't have. If there's a need in a third world country for more than a week, he can go. I can remember when my oldest son, Jason, announced that, you know, before he was married, I feel like I need to move to Guatemala and work in a mission deal. His mom and I were kind of upset at first because, man, that's scary. He's going away and all this. But we talked it through. It was God. He went and he lived in Guatemala. Josh and I went down and visited him. It was incredible the things that he was able to accomplish. He was single. He could do it. Even short-term mission trips. If we talk about one on the weekend and say, go sign up in the foyer. If you're a single guy, you know, you can basically go sign up if you want to. If you're a married guy, you got to check whose birthday is during that mission trip. Are there any anniversaries? Am I involved in a carpool? What are my family responsibilities? It's just the way it is. I love being married. I love being married. I do not have discretionary time that some of my single friends have. And they can do great things with it. Volunteer at the church. I thank God for the singles who volunteer here. It's incredible. You make a major, major difference. Married people volunteer too. But when you go into the children's area or you go to the Dream Center or you, even the mentor program, many, many, many of them are singles who are able to make a major, major difference. Um, in, the, in, in the same way, he says, Next verse, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord in holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. How many married ladies would say that your life has changed? Okay, sure it has. It's not just you and Jesus anymore, he says. You know, it's not just you and a Bible study and feeling good and getting with the ladies and having great community. You got a guy now. He smells funny, okay? He, He does weird things from time to time. Uh, They think body noises are funny. They scratch themselves publicly. Do you really want a man in the house, Paul says. Okay. Sometimes women are idealistic about what it would be like to have a man. I mean, they're okay, but they're they're not perfect. None of them are. And so he says, I'm saying for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible, he says. Paul says, recognize that your singleness in this season is a blessing, not a burden. And there are some singles here that you feel like, man, I would love to be married, but it's not on the horizon for me right now. And I I feel you're hurt. And God loves you, and he knows. And let let me give you a couple of things. Number one, he didn't mean that you be alone. You know, Genesis 2 says that um, uh, when he created Adam, he said it wasn't good. It was not good for him to be alone, and so he created Eve for community. You can have community. You are created for community, and marriage is one of those, but it's not the only source of community. In fact, 
God has, has uh, uh, placed the church so that singles and married and those who are lonely and those who have an abundance of joy, those who are sorrowful, can be in the same groups, love each other, care for one another, and have intense community. In fact, I believe that singles, some of the singles in this church, have a deeper sense of community with others within their groups than even some married couples do for the same reason, because they have more discretionary time. They can invest deeper in relationships. That's the first thing I would say to you. The second thing I would say is that recognize this is a season of blessing, not a burden. You can make a major difference in people's lives. You can, you can go places. You can volunteer. You can make a difference in children and students and, and uh, go around the world in medical missions. You can give significantly toward the cause of Christ wherever it is. When you're married, you give up some of those freedoms of time and resource. So if you're not married during this season, ask God this question. What is it that you want me to do that I couldn't do if I was married right now? What is it? Rather than spending a lot of time on, you know, God, I wish I was married, I wish I was married, I wish I was married. Say, God, what is it that you want me to do right now? You're good. You have a reason for this season. What is it you want me to do? And uh, God hasn't cursed you. You're not in a holding pattern. You are free to serve him and make a difference. And I, I can say from my heart as a church, we are grateful for you. And we are grateful for what you mean in this community. Uh, then the fourth thing that, you, that, that he says this will be a little harder on the guys, is be considerate, be considerate. In verse 36, he says, but if a man thinks that he is treating his fiance improperly, he thinks he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you have a fiancé, and I would define fiancé two ways. You've got somebody that you've actually asked and given a ring, and we're going to get married, you've set, but maybe you haven't set the date. Or it's somebody that you are courting or dating, whatever you want to call it. We believe in courtship rather than dating, but it's a technicality. If, if you've been dating for a significant period of time, and you haven't set the date, you may be treating her improperly. If you know, I am destined to get married. Uh, I, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm in that first, I'm, I'm in there with Pastor Greg on this. I'm not going to be married, uh, single for, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever. And uh, you, you may be treating her um, improperly. Uh, example. I uh, had a girl uh, talk to me. She wasn't from this church. Um, and she I was just talking to her, and she was sharing some of her heartache right then. She said, you know, we've been dating for a long time. And I believe he's the one. My family believes he's the one. He thinks I'm the one. But you know what? I go through um, special days, holidays. Is this going to be the one where he gives me the ring? Is this going to be the one where he gives me the ring? Is this? And he, she says, I can't control any of that. And I'm getting older, and I have this desire to have kids and all of this, and I, I feel like he's playing with my emotions. And as I was reading this scripture, I thought, I think that's one of the things that Paul's talking about today. He's saying that's improperly. Listen, guys, make up your mind if, if that's the case. You know, join a team, married, unmarried, get a uniform. Doesn't matter which one, but make up your mind. Because it's not right. You say, well, I don't know. You know, a lot of times, 
know, it may be, listen, it may be you know, one of the legitimate reasons that we went through, you know, why this is probably not a good season. And if that's true, you probably ought to go apart. Uh, or, but usually the reasons are illegitimate. It's fear. It's commo- uh, 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 commitment phobia. I'm afraid to make a commitment. I don't know if I can carry through on it. Or my parents were divorced. Or my father left early and I don't want to be one of those guys. Well, don't be one of those guys. Just, just ask God to help you. You are a new creation in Jesus. You are breaking the chain of family sin. Okay? You don't have to be. We don't make decisions out of fear. We make them out of love. That's just good preaching. Okay? That's just good preaching. A few people think it's good preaching and others feel like it's just a rant and I'll get over it. But I'm saying man up. Get a dose of courage. Make up your mind. Don't lead her on. And if you've decided that this is not a season for me to get married uh, and you're not in a relationship, don't be flirty, okay? Don't, don't be dating this one and dating that one and doing this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. It's okay not to want to be married, okay, right now. But don't mess with somebody's heart and don't act improperly. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 37 says, but if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there's no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. Paul says you're free to choose to be married or not to be married. You're not free to be sexually active, to be confused about whether you should be married or not, to be breaking hearts and causing whoever you're involved with to seek years of therapy because you can't figure it out. When you figure it out, if you can't, it just leaves her frustrated and she can't do anything about it. So do her a favor. Make a choice. Figure it out. And then do what's best. Do what is right. He says, so the person who marries his fiance does well. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. He says, you're free. It's okay. You are free. You're free. Not free to break hearts and touch bodies and confuse women. But you are free to marry or not marry. You're free to serve God with abandon during this wonderful season of singleness. It's not a curse. It's a gift. So I would say to singles, and I hope you get it from the spirit of your pastor who loves you, be pure, be wise, be devoted, and be considerate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this this day, a wonderful day to be uh, here with you. And I thank you for your word. And God, I, I pray that the part of your word that was really you, that you would impress in our hearts today. God, I pray that your kingdom would truly come in our relationships, whether we're single or whether we're married, that we would reflect you and that you would, uh, you would smile upon our relationship, that you would bless them and that we wouldn't walk in judgment. And so, Father, I pray that during our response time that we would just be honest with you and that we would respond to you in a godly way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.